Hey everyone, and welcome to the Flatlining Podcast from Fulcrum Strategies. I'm Matthew Handley, and with me, as he usually is on these Wednesday episodes, is our president and CEO, Ron Howergan. Ron, how are you, sir? I am good, thank you. We are going to be talking today about Medicare Advantage and the CMS, uh, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. There's been some stories published this week in Becker's that we want to talk about. But first, Ron, I want to talk about something that is important to a lot of us at Fulcrum because we're based in North Carolina and a lot of uh, patients in North Carolina because it affects one of the state's largest hospital systems. And that is uh, UNC Health and United Healthcare approaching uh, their termination date of April 1. Um, UNC Health has said that they've been negotiating in good faith. United Healthcare says that, you know, they want too much money, which is what we saw when they weren't non-par with Wake Med. Um, I want to talk a little bit about why this is a typical strategy we see with, you know, any system, big or small, with United Healthcare. Why it always seems to come down to the 11th hour with this particular payer. Yeah, I think there's really two factors involved and why, you know, the vast majority of the time, if you see a termination, whether it's a big medical group or a hospital, it's it's usually United more often than any of the rest of them. Now, it's not that it doesn't happen with the rest of them, but more often, I think it's two factors. One is United size. Um, pretty much in every state, they are the second largest payer to the Blue Cross plans. Um, the Blue Cross plans tend to not like this termination strategy as much because of, of their status. But United is usually bigger than Aetna and Cigna. They're usually bigger than Aetna and Cigna put together. So you're dealing with more money. The other one is United is what I would call the most pure of the for-profit insurance companies. So what I mean by that is they seem to um, take their their mandate, which in their eyes and, and with all for-profit companies, is to maximize their shareholders' investment. Their job is not to make friends. It's not really even to you know, provide um, excellent healthcare. Their job is to increase their stock price and ter- and produce a return for their investors. So they take that probably the most strictly or the most pure of the any of the for-profit carriers. And that means they're going to get into these disputes because they're trying to pay the absolute smallest amount of money they can. And on the other side, the hospitals are trying to get as much money as they can or at least enough money to cover cost increases. So that's why we, we experience this. And, and whenever I see something like this, and I think about all the patients that are potentially impacted with this, it always reminds me of sort of that old adage that when elephants fight, only the grass gets hurt. And, and that's what's going to happen here if it actually goes to termination. There's some patients going to get hurt. Both organizations are going to survive it, and they'll eventually figure it out. Now, it's important to remember, too, that if you're a patient – uh, you know, at you're you have United Healthcare, and you're there's an emergency situation. You can go to um, the emergency room at UNC Health because we had that issue. You've talked about it before on this program. Yeah. Um, of the patient that drove past WakeMed, I believe, to go to Rex, uh, not understanding yeah. that they could have gone to WakeMed in an emergency situation. Yeah, the patient. It was years ago, many years ago, when there was a dispute. WakeMed was out of network, and there was a. a a woman driving her husband who was having a heart attack and she was concerned that she couldn't go to wake med, even though it was an emergency and it would have been covered. And she drove past wake med to Rex hospital. And that's not that far away, but it's an extra drive. Mm-hmm. Um, and he passed away in the parking lot. Yeah. Now, again, he may have 
passed away in the ER at Wake Med. There's no guarantee of that, right. but it's it's that's that unfortunate situation of patients don't understand necessarily the ins and outs of this. Um, if you're a you know a, a woman who's in her third trimester of, of pregnancy, you go wait a minute, can I deliver there? Will that be covered? Um, if you're a patient who's receiving cancer treatments and you're in the middle of those treatments, I mean, there's, it's not as easy as just, let's say, shutting down a restaurant and saying, oh, you can't eat here tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and that's what I mean by, you know, that it's it's the grass that gets hurt. Uh, real quick, Ron, is the last thing on this particular topic, you know, understanding that we are a little biased at Fulcrum Strategies because we are physician advocates. Uh, but, but we typically see, you know, Oftentimes, the payers are better at playing the media game, I think, uh, getting into the local television stations and the papers and talking about why this is really, you know, say UNC Health's fault for these two payers going for these two groups going uh, non par. Talk a little bit about just put it a little bit in perspective is that why one you could probably say that no one's really at fault um, and, and talk a little bit about why this is normal in the process. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, this is a this is a a large business contract, um, and in some ways, you you uh, United Healthcare is correct that if they increase their reimbursement to hospitals, premiums go up, costs go up for their self-funded employers, and UNC is correct to say we've had these massive increases in our costs. Somebody has to pay for them. So, you know, you know, they're they're sort of both at fault, and neither is at, at fault. Um, but you're right. The payers historically have been a little bit better at playing the public relations game. Um, United's very good at that. Like all for-profit companies are very good at that. Um, and, it, and this isn't really other than the fact that it's healthcare, which makes it different. It's not that much different when what was going back and forth when the big auto manufacturers were in their, you know, contract disputes with the UAW, mm-hmm. you know, and the workers are saying, I need more money to cover the cost of inflation. And, and, you know, you haven't given me a raise in this long. And the auto manufacturers are saying, well, I have to compete with, you know, with the Japanese manufacturers and the Germans, and I can't do that to the price of the car, it'll the average American. I mean, all of that's true, but at the end of the day, this is about healthcare, and we have to be very careful about it. And it's hard, personally, and this gets into the bias part, because we are biased since we're physician advocates. It's hard for me to shed too many tears for United Healthcare, seeing how many billions of dollars they made last year. They're doing Mm -hmm. just fine, okay? Um, there's nobody at United who's worried about not getting a bonus this year. Yeah. Well, and and as we switch gears, this is a great time for me to let everyone know that next week we're going to have a really good interview with Dr. Damian McHugh. He's an emergency medicine physician who is now working with Curie, a, uh, a advocacy group based in Raleigh, North Carolina. Uh, and he's going to be talking about physician burnout. And one of those issues was talking about just that, the money issue of the fact that you know, after an instance like COVID-19, and we've talked about it before, physicians really kind of got a, you know, a little bit of a middle finger from the federal government when they cut the Medicare fee schedule repeatedly uh, since the pandemic. So we're going to have that conversation for you next week on the Flatlining Podcast. So if you're not subscribed, make sure you're subscribed. You can also have them delivered to your email by going to flatlining.net and clicking the subscribe button there. All right, Ron, the main thing I wanted to talk about today uh, was a press release issued by the Better Medicare Alliance. And the Better Medicare Alliance, for those of you that aren't aware, is an insurer-backed advocacy group. Um, Essentially, they're a lobby group. Um, They were criticizing the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services last week for um, 
rising utilization rates. And of course, as we know, rising utilization rates for Medicare Advantage means that these payers have to pay out more money to the physicians. Um, the Better Medicare Alliance president, uh, Mary Beth Donahue, said there have been a notable increase in seniors using health care services from their doctors and providers, which makes sense given the increasing aging population and the pent-up demand after COVID. But at the same time, Medicare Advantage program continues to adjust to significant policy changes, including the implementation to major changes from Medicare Part D. So first, Ryan, can you break down a little bit about what she's talking about here? What kind of policy changes are we seeing in the Medicare Advantage program? And what are the changes that we're seeing to Medicare Part D? Yeah, well, you know, the, the gist of it is that it's a, a group saying we need more money, you know, that that um, our costs are going up. Medicare and uh, Medicare people are using more services compared to COVID obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Part D stuff has to do with some of the, you know, the increased expenses for drugs that are being approved by Medicare. Um, and, and we've talked about this a long time. Drug costs are, you know, a huge problem across the whole industry. But it's basically them saying, look, you're, you're approving more drugs. That increases our cost. You're, you're making other policy changes on the things we have to cover. And we're just not making nearly enough money and mm-hmm. you should give us more money because we're doing so poorly. And, you know, and you can tell by my voice, the sarcasm yeah. starting to seep <laughs> into my discussion. But but that's the gist of it. Yeah. And, and they're trying to cry poor to Medicare and that I find um, massively uh, hypocritical. You know, it's it's interesting, too, because my first thought that I went to is and I, and I understand that Medicare Advantage is incredibly most patients who have a Medicare Advantage plan are, are generally very satisfied with their Medicare Advantage plan. Mm-hmm. Um, flying back from our meeting yesterday or last week from in Raleigh for our, our staff meeting run, I had sat next to someone um, who I got talking to only because I have a client in the in the town where she lives. Uh, and she was talking about how she liked her Medicare Advantage and that she doesn't have a, you know, a copay or deductible or, mm-hmm. um, you know, a, a regular monthly premium. And so my first thought in this particular instance is could it be that they are, you know, because they, you know, they have all those things for commercial insurers, could it be that that is one of the reasons they're losing out money? Because for seniors who rightfully need health care, you know, that there's more utilization because they are not having to pay out of pocket for it. Well, there, there definitely is a potential there. Um, you know, there's a, a strong correlation between um, the the lowering the amount of out of pocket a patient would res- would pay for something and increased utilization. Uh, now, the question that everybody has in that is, well, is that good or bad? In right. other words, if we increase out of pocket, if we have deductibles, copays, coinsurance, does that mean people will not seek care when they should have? Let's say earlier on, and, and getting ahead of something is better. Um, and, and lowers overall cost. So, and, and it's probably a mix of both. There's probably some mm-hmm. unnecessary utilization happens when it's free. Um, and there's probably some utilization that should happen for preventative services or early things. If, if it's expensive, that, that doesn't happen. So probably some of that there. But, but to me, the, the bigger sort of question in this, is, and, and, and again, first of all, Medicare Advantage has been an amazing thing for the individuals who are covered by it. Mm-hmm. You know, taking these seniors and getting rid of co-insurance and co-pays and all that other stuff, massively helpful, especially for those seniors who are on fixed income, et cetera. So no, no dispute there. The question becomes, is it at the expense of the federal budget by lining the pockets of insurance companies or not? Now, the reality is, even 
with these reduced earnings that happened with uh, coming out of COVID for 2022 and now looking at 2023, Medicare Advantage on a per enrollee basis is still the most profitable line of insurance that these companies sell. Mm -hmm. It's it's about twice as profitable as Medicaid, managed Medicaid, and about 45% more profitable than, let's say, employer or commercial risk. So when they whine about needing more money, yes, their earnings both per individual and their margin overall has gone down as people have come out of COVID and started using it. But it is still the most profitable thing they sell. Their problem is that Wall Street wants it to continue to be at the profit they made during COVID. Right. And it will put pressure on their earnings if it goes down. And so, um, but, but I mean, again, my, to me, the hypocrisy is that, you know, whining about this and saying, well, you know, our profits are being diminished. There aren't any physicians out there who see Medicare patients who think it's pro- they're profitable. They're not. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they see Medicare as a social mission. Yeah. But Medicare on the physician level almost universally is below their cost. So, um, you know, they would like to break even. And the insurance companies are whining about, well, we're only making $500 of profit per enrollee per year. Um, physicians will kill just to break even. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, just speaking generally, you know, we, we've seen all these Medicare Advantage contracts that are either at Medicare rates or even below Medicare rates. It would make more money if they weren't on a, you know, United Healthcare Medicare Advantage card. Uh, right. And to anyone who's interested in seeing the evidence that Medicare Advantage is significantly more profitable than uh, than the commercial insurance. Just take a look at Humana. Uh, they they dropped all of their commercial insurance on January right. one of this year to focus solely on their government products, which includes Medicare Advantage as the main one, plus some Medicaid, and then they also uh, they run Tricare on the eastern uh, in the east part of the United States. Um, Ron, let me play a little bit of devil's advocate here. Uh, mm-hmm. When we think about Medicare Advantage and, and the benefits that it has for patients, I think a lot of these payers also would argue that they provide a, a benefit to the federal government and by extension to the taxpayer because they're more efficient at handling um, claims. They're more efficient at, at paying out to providers. Um, and in fact, there were several studies towards the end of last year that showed that um, th- these Medicare the patients on Medicare Advantage had lower utilization than patients on um, commercial, excuse me, traditional Medicare. So with that, you know, thinking about that in the idea of, of these payers saying and really whining that they need more money, you know, what would you say to something like that? You know, that they do provide a service to the taxpayer because of that. So, and I do think to some degree that's true. I think they do. There's, there's definitely some studies out there that show that the, you know, whatever the process of medical management or um, et cetera that the, the payers use has a, a reduction in utilization. It's the same theory as to why managed care came into the employer arena versus the old indemnity insurance. So it's the same advan- reason why states pursue managed Medicaid. And, and, and to be intellectually honest, I think there is some value there. My issue isn't so much that, you know, that Medicare Advantage is a negative in total for the taxpayers. My issue is we've gotten this sort of, if you think about different pieces of, of the whole healthcare component, it's now um, disjointed. You know, pharma does pretty well on Medicare. Okay. Hospitals do better than physicians on Medicare. 
and they actually got an increase last year when physicians got cut. Payers clearly do very well on Medicare, and, I, and I'm not one that says they should do it as a social mission. If they're going to take risk and sell the product, they should make the profit. Now, I could argue that should they be making 45% more profit than they make on their employer groups? Maybe not. Maybe mm-hmm. that's too much. Um, but we've got three components, pharma, hospitals, and payers who are either doing very well or doing better. And then we've got physicians being crushed. And the so that that disjointed part is the part I have a problem with here when they're whining about money when when physicians are taking massive cuts. And then I go back to the thing about, you know what? Without the doctor, none of the rest of this works. Mm-hmm. You know, without the doctor providing the care, who cares what your insurance card is? I mean, if there are no doctors who are willing to take it, your Medicare Advantage card will suddenly be like a, you know, a, a gift certificate at Blockbuster Video Rentals. Right. <laughs> um, who cares? Yeah. Um, and if, you know, and hospitals without physicians are really just expensive hotels with bad food. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're doing all of this stuff and, and pharma can't, you know, fill a prescription until a doctor writes it. So that's my problem with them whining about their money is, boy, you're you're killing the entity that makes all of this possible, the doctor, um, and nobody seems to care. Well, and even going back to what we just talked about with UNC Health and the statements that United Healthcare has made about, you know, they're, they're asking for too much money. They're going to drive up premiums right. for all their patients. And comparing that to what you said at the beginning of this segment, you know, United Healthcare made billions of dollars in profit last year, not just income, but right. profit uh, that, that was then yeah. paid out to their to their executives and shareholders. Yeah, I mean, 20, uh, 23, 24 billion dollars in profit. Um and, and the other, and I know this is a little bit of a side, but, but what a lot of people don't understand is, you know, United Healthcare currently employs about 10% of all the practicing physicians mm-hmm. in this country. One out of 10. They own over 200 ambulatory surgery centers. They own a huge B- PBM. They, I mean, they are starting to become this massively integrated healthcare driving force. And I'm sure there are a lot of people who think that's not necessarily a great thing. Yeah, I saw a, a, uh, a chart the other day that had them listed somewhere. In, I don't remember where it is, but it was in the top ten uh, of the largest companies in the world was United Healthcare. Yeah, um, mm-hmm. in that, in that too, you see them investing in other uh, medical, uh, uh, you know, physician groups and other um, payer-like institutions in other countries as well. Um, but that's that's a topic for another day. Uh, let me switch gears a little bit, and we'll talk about. Yeah. Um, payers behaving badly, particularly with Medicare Advantage. And for this story, we're going to New Hampshire. And New ha- in a New Hampshire uh, Elevance, which owns Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, in that state, they took over the state's Medicare Advantage plan for state retirees at the beginning of this year. Well, according to their contract with the state, and this was published by the, the state, um, uh, excuse me, by the New Hampshire Union leader, one of the newspapers there anthem must ship 98 percent of its mail order prescriptions uh within two days of getting the prescription so this is using the payer-owned uh pharmacy each quarter that it fails to meet that standard anthem can be fined fifty thousand dollars for each percentage point under 98 percent it appears according to reporting from new hampshire public radio and the new hampshire union leader that they have um massively screwed up their mail order pharmacy for their uh for their patients and it appears that they're going to be um, find a significant amount of money. I don't see a, a dollar amount in this particular article. They're going to be fined a significant amount of money by the state. So, Ron, first of all, um, I want to talk a little bit about, because we were just talking about Medicare Advantage and all the benefits that it has. 
for some of these Medicare Advantage plans like this one, is it that only uh, the patients can only use Anthem's mail order pharmacy? And if so, how how do patients, um, you know, how, how is that allowed when it might be easier and perhaps more efficient to go to a local pharmacy around the corner? So usually, and I don't know the details about this, this particular anthem, usually it's not that you must use the mail order pharmacy. If anything, there sometimes are a financial incentive to use it. You can get, you know, you get 90 days if mail order for, uh, you know, for a $10 copay sure. versus 30 days at the local pharmacy. But I've not seen anywhere you, you must only okay. use the mail order. Okay, but here's the problem. And, and this is why this is, and I'm glad the state's finding them. If they screwed up, they deserve to be fined. But it's it's it can be worse than that. You know, you've got a lot of these seniors who rely on that mail order because they would really have a hard time getting to the mm-hmm. pharmacy, especially think about winters in New Hampshire. Yes. Okay. So, and, and and we know that you know missing these meds is not good. So the question that hit my mind when I first saw this was, well, how many people didn't get their drugs, expected them? And then once they didn't show up in the mail, they're probably saying, well, they'll be here tomorrow. I don't want to go to the pharmacy because the prescription's already been put through mail order. That mm-hmm. can be a problem. Or I can't get to the pharmacy. You know, what responsibility or culpability does a corporation have when there is a bad outcome or a patient who, because they were off their meds for certain days, had some sort of event, um, et cetera. That's to me you know, another big piece of this. So I'm glad they're getting fined. I'm glad the contract said you must do this within this time frame. Yeah. But what I don't think being discussed well enough of what happened about poor Mrs. Smith who didn't get her, you know, this medicine. I mean, who's responsible for that and what, what happens? Cause I'm sure that money doesn't go down to her. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the real, to me, the real problem. Well, and, and, you know, it's uh, just to put this a little bit perspective, this is not a small Medicare Advantage plan. I mean, it's 11,000 retired New Hampshire state employees. Um, The meeting of the state's executive council said that they will be leveraging uh, penalties against Anthem. And a spokesperson said this for the state to give credit where credit's due. He said the medical side of the contract has been fine, but the prescription drug Mm -hmm. coverage has been a, a disaster. Uh, he said the contract and the implementation of it is a massively screwed up and the company that's implementing the new contract is doing a horrible job and it's not getting better fast enough. Of course, Anthem, uh, their spokesman said that they were disappointed in statements like that. But uh, surprise, surprise. Um, Ron, how I mean, you, we have in North Carolina, you know, the state health plan switching from Blue Cross Blue Shield to Aetna, as it appears to be going right now. Um, does that include retirees in the state of North Carolina, will they be on an Aetna Medicare Advantage plan or how does, do you know how their retirement program works or if they even offer that in the state of North Carolina? You know, I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not really, I'm not sure. sure. I've been so focused on the, the regular state employees. I'm not sure how that works. I think they have a retirement plan, but I'm not sure if that switch is included or if they offer choice there. Well, then let me ask you this. How, Cause I know the other one I've seen probably the most is New York city has an, has Aetna mm-hmm. Medicare Advantage for their retirees um, how common is it for municipalities, for states to have a Medicare Advantage plan um, for their retirees, something like this? Well, it's, it's, it's much more common for states, municipalities, things like that, um, to have it than it is for, for, for regular employers. Sure. Um, I mean, you know, it's, you and I both being, you know, familiar with and um, you were living there now and me having grown up in Michigan know about the plight of the city of Detroit. Oh, yeah. 
And a big part of that problem was promises they had made and, and retirement, both for healthcare and pensions, et cetera, that, you know, are, are the city's version of an unfunded mandate. So a lot of states and, and municipalities and cities and that kind of stuff have those kind of programs um, and they create, you know, significant issues. Typical employers usually don't. Yeah. Um, do you have any other just brief reaction to this story in, in New Hampshire? You know, you know, other than the fines, is there any sort of federal repercussions that, you know, uh, uh, Elevance could face because it's a Medicare Advantage product? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, and we've seen this with other companies for different issues. We saw it with Cigna's uh, HealthSpring, their, their Medicare product, where they got into some trouble and the federal government pulled their license for a while and said, you can't sell this. Um, so they can. I mean, the federal government could pull that Medicare Advantage license. They could suspend it for a while um, if things get really bad. And, and again, all those things are, are good to keep these actors, you know, following what they should be following. But again, I'll, and I'll go back to, I know this is a, I'm beating a dead horse here, but at some point, since we're talking about healthcare here mm-hmm. and people, you know, people can have really negative outcomes for failure by an insurance company, whether it's not sending drugs or, you know, medical directors denying things they shouldn't deny or whatever it is, we've got to figure out a way to hold the insurance company individually responsible for what happens to an individual. Uh, uh, you know, a fine from the state or the federal government suspending your license doesn't help the family of somebody who has a negative outcome because they didn't get their meds right. or couldn't get a service because it got denied by a medical director somewhere. That's the connection I would like to see start to happen. And I will tell you, if it happens, it'll also help and, you know, make these actors do the right thing from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, if any of that happens, Ron, we're, we're wrapping up because we're coming up on, on time for this program. If any of that happens, I'll be sure to ask about it right here on the Flatlining Podcast. How does that sound? Absolutely. All right. Thank you, Ron. Miss an episode of the Flatlining Podcast? Well, now you can read a recap. Just go to flatlining.net and look right there on the homepage every Monday for a written recap on last week's episode.